coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. You guys know I'm Tyler, and back with me today, still got a couple days for you to go back to law school. Is that right, Kurt? Yeah. When do you go back? Uh, get a nice week. Another week. Another week. All right, man. We'll live it up, dude. I know it's uh, it's gonna be a grind when it, when you hit back. So while he's still free from law school, we fear we get him back here on the show today. And uh, we we know like with a lot of you guys off for the rest of the week. I know we had Christmas on Wednesday, so a lot of you guys are checking the rest of the week off. We thought you might appreciate a little holiday content. We weren't gonna do this show. We hadn't really talked about it. But uh, we've been working on the Sugar Bowl preview show kind of in between all the holiday festivities. I don't know about you guys, but I had four different Christmases to do over the course of three days. Kurt, I know you had – what did you have? Did you have two to do? Yeah, least? I had two. Yeah, you had two. So you're not married yet, so you don't have like the, the three, four, five things going on. So I, I was all over the place. Uh, so over the course of those three days with four Christmases, I've been trying to prepare for that Sugar Bowl preview show. But we also know it sucks to not have much content to listen to over the holidays. So we figured, what the heck, let's put together a bonus holiday mailbag edition of the show. So I guess consider this kind of a belated Christmas gift from us at the Glory UJ Podcast to all of you incredible listeners out there, all you guys that we appreciate so much. Uh, and so what we have today is, again, it's a mailbag show. Uh, we figured we put out a call for questions, and uh, you guys, as always, responded. We actually had two listeners in particular that have clearly been thinking a lot about Georgia football over the holidays, uh, as they sent in a number of great questions. So we're going to start with them. We had Charlie and Zandalorian sent in a couple of questions each. We're going to start there, and then we will move on to a couple other questions that we have as well. So we're going to start with Charlie. And no, not Coach Charlie. Totally different Charlie. Uh, so appreciate all the questions, Charlie. Really do, my man. And uh, Charlie first asked uh, about D-Rob. Obviously, the wide receivers were a major uh, source of contention throughout the entire year. We talked about, talked about that a lot here on this show. And Charlie has another question on, on that front. He asks, are we misusing Demetrius Robertson at the slot? I know he's not the biggest guy in the world, but given the lack of downfield options and given his speed, it seems like he might be more of a reliable threat than the guys we were using, not named Pickens or Cager. So, Kurt, how do you go about answering that question? Are we misusing um, One of his biggest problems? One of his biggest problems is I still think that Demetrius Robertson's a little weak. Um, and as fast as he is, he doesn't – Like physically weak? Yeah, physically, like going up for the ball, battling people for the ball. And I also think uh, while he has track speed, he has – for some reason has trouble creating separation. Um, and, and I think that's one of the biggest things is, he, you know, he, he can't go out there just straight out there and just beat someone on a deep pattern. I, I think he can do that at Ty- – I, I, what I said all year long, and I'm, I'm going to stick by this, is that we just simply, and I totally agree with Charlie, that we're misusing Demetrius Robertson in, in our offense. And I think that's the case for a lot of the receivers on our team. And, and I think part of that was like by necessity when you, because like you guys know the past couple of years, what our offense has been is let's run the football, let's go play action down the field. And I try to hit those back shoulder, depending on, basically just play out the leverage of the cornerback. If he's playing over the top, he's the back shoulder. If he's playing the back shoulder, you hit over the top. And you, we've done that in the past couple of years with guys that are 6'2", 6'3", guys like Javon Wims, Riley Ridley. We've done it with those kind of guys. Lawrence Cager when he was healthy, J.J. Holloman, uh, George Pickens to a degree at times this year. But when Pickens gets suspended and Cager goes down, we're left with guys like Tyler Simmons and Kiaris Jackson and Demetrius Robertson. 
and we're what we were trying to do is run the same system, do the basically operate on the same offensive framework, play action, go down the field, back shoulder, over the top, with guys that were smaller in stature. That their skill set that that's not what their skill set is. That's not what they do. These are guys that you can run option routes with, you can run RPOs with. We did that at times with ER, but not enough. So I, I think we did misuse them. I think you're right, Curtis, in saying that like I think a lot of us overestimated D Rob's. Ta- I don't his skill set coming into Athens. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that's the best way to put it. Yeah, we all we all thought, and even I'm guilty of. We all were thinking, man, this guy might can make an immediate impact. He changes the game for us. And that hasn't been the case. He does have really good straight line speed. I will give him that. I don't know if he has incredible lateral agility, and I think part of that uh, bleeds over into the fact that he's maybe not a, a, an outstanding route runner, not a bad route runner, but not outstanding. Uh, and you're right. So I think that leads into him kind of not be able to create as much separation as we would like. But I, I still think there are things that we could have done with him in the slot uh, that we did not do. And I think there are things that uh, we could have done to maximize what he does bring the table. So he does have value. He does have skills. And, and I don't know that we really maximized that this year. So uh, I think you're right, Charlie. I think that's – if I had a, if I have an issue with James Coy in our offensive staff in general, I think it's that. It's just misusing the skill sets of the players that we did have on roster. We just were trying to – it was a square peg round hole scenario. That's really what it was all year long. And we just really didn't quite figure that out, figure that out until it was too late. And then just couldn't quite fix it from there. All right. Next question from Charlie. And I feel weird. Uh, I'm trying, like, I haven't asked questions like this in a long time. It, the co-host Charlie has been the one asking the question on the mailbag shows all season long. She's done a great job. So uh, I'm probably completely butchering this, but I'm going to try to try to do the best I can here. So next up, we got a question here from Charlie again saying, do we see more of Otis Reese next year? Who are the backups at safety next year? Whom do you think are the starters, particularly if Richard LeCount goes pro? So, Kurt, what's the outlook basically for the safety position next year? Let's let's say if Richard comes back, what is what is the outlook? And let's take it. What if he goes pro? Um, well, first off, um, all right, with Richard, I think that you are going to see um, the I, the thing is about Otis Reese. I don't know if he's the best person to replace um jr reed if richard i mean it, um if richard stays really um my who do you best, see if, if it's not otis who is it my, i'm probably gonna go with lewis scene i think i would agree with you i mean if you well, if you watch too i mean even in the sec change game he played otis reese did not we we trusted him more in coverage than we did otis reese and that's why i think that especially at jr's position if he goes, and that's going to be the one person replacing him. He's physical, coming up, making tackles, but he's also very successful in the uh, coverage game. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Lewis Cena is going to be that guy. He was the first guy off the bench most of the year in those situations we saw in the SEC title game. You're absolutely right. We won like seven DBs in the game. It was Lewis Cena. It was not Otis Reese. Uh, what if Richard goes pro? So let's say LeCount goes, Richie's gone, and we got Lewis Cena. Who's that second safety? Because I think that right, now, if Richard goes pro, then it probably is up to Otis Reese, um, and probably maybe to battle someone else, maybe some of these young new guys, Major um, Burns. Yeah, and it, you know maybe if they get Keely Ringo, they may try to put him out there. You just don't know, but I think he'd be in the competition. Chris Smith is a name. I mean, I, I don't know how realistic an option he would be. He's a guy that plays safety for us right now. Um, yeah, if, if LeCount goes pro, I'm, I'm kind of concerned about safety. I feel really good about Lewis seeing Otis Reese. I, I just don't, I don't know if he, we haven't seen enough of him. Let's say that, but like, he's a guy who's more, uh, I don't want to say headhunter, but he's more of a phys. Like his, his game is like, I'm, I'm going to support the run from safety position. He's like the old school, strong safety, right? Mm-hmm. 
but that position has kind of evolved over time because you have with the with the evolution of spread offenses and, and offenses trying to get speed on the field and how they're attacking defenses and utilizing the entire field. It, it's like when you have a guy who's the old school strong safety. Remember old school Roy Williams back in the day played for the Dallas Cowboys, played for Oklahoma. Like that's who that's who Otis Reese reminds me of. And those guys can be liabilities and coverage. You used to be able to get away with that with how offenses used to function. Nowadays, with how offenses function, spreading spreading the ball all over the field, chucking the ball over the field, throwing the ball down after down, you can't have a guy who's potentially a liability and coverage. And I'm not saying Otis is a liability and coverage because we haven't seen enough of him to say that. But if you look at his profile coming out of high school, that was the knock. And that's what you saw. You saw him just like take heads off. But you didn't see him excel in coverage consistently. We saw that a little bit his freshman year as well. So – like that does concern me to a degree. How well will he actually be able to hold up in coverage? Because you're going to have to be able to do that. So I think that's why it might open up. I mean, Otis will certainly be in contention. Do not get me wrong. I'm not giving up him at all. I think he, he's an outstanding talent. But uh, in just a modern context of college football, like even our safeties, we we don't go strong safety, free safety with Kirby Smart Stevens. We go left safety and right safety. It's left and right. I mean, you look at Richard and you look at J.R. Reed, like both those are pretty small dudes. Like you don't have we don't have a guy that's like the old school traditional strong safety that guy physical guy in the box. Both guys can come up in the box, they can tackle, and they do that, but they also can excel in coverage as well. And we'll, that remains to be seen from Otis Reese. That's that's something you're gonna have to look at. A, a guy like Major Burns coming in from the high school ranks. I know he's gonna be a true freshman, but I think he'll be a contender because he he's a long rangey guy that has the coverage ability, also has the ability to get in the box as well. So I mean, you'll see Chris, but there'll be other guys. You mentioned Keely Ringo potentially. Some of the guys would link. And Kirby's done a really good job of recruiting guys that are kind of interchangeable secondary, the guys that can play safety, guys that can play uh, star, that can play corner. So we'll see how that goes down. But, I mean, Otis will certainly be in the thick of things. But if, if Richard stays, I'm with you. I think that uh, seems the guy, and Richard uh, is there with him, obviously, as well. Do you think McCallum is going to go proker if you had to predict right now? I mean, nowadays, you never know with these kids. Let's be honest. Um, it's hard to predict, kids, you're right. Yeah, they'll get the recommendations that, hey, you should probably go back, and yet they'll – find their way in the draft yeah you don't know what i mean it's just like family situations you don't know what the family situation is you don't know what the feedback is they get from the nfl you don't know you just, there's so there's so many factors that go into it. it's hard to say i think richard would benefit from coming back. i think if richard comes back i think richie comes back next year with the kind of name he made for himself throughout this year i think he could be in line for like all sec type conversation next year which could certainly boost him up the up the draft boards even more so i think it would benefit him to come back but uh, like you said, you just never know. You never know. All right, next question from Charlie. He asks, having been spoiled by three years of Andrew Thomas and two years of Isaiah Wilson, do you see anyone on the team or in the pipeline being able to replace them ad- adequately next year? Kurt, that is a concern. Both tackles, uh, elite tackles declaring for the NFL draft. Oh, what does it look like next year? Um, if I had to pick two people, um, if we hold on to him, I think, of course, you have to throw Broderick Jones in there because I think he's more of the similar type of body skills, uh, body size and athletic ability where you have the big bodies, but he, yeah, he moves very well. He's very, really, you know, he's pretty good at basketball, so he's quick on his feet. Um, but if I had to go with someone that's on the team right now, I may throw in Warren McClendon. Well, Cade Mays. Um, I think he's better suited at right tackle. If I'm going to be 100% honest, I think his foot speed is not up to what we might need at left tackle. But but you think he could be an adequate replacement for Wilson at right tackle? Yeah, I think he could be a very good. Uh, yeah, I think he could do what we need him to do at right tackle. But left tackle, I think that Warren McClendon may fit more in the mold of what you saw in Isaiah Wynn or something. Yeah, it'll certainly be interesting. Well, look, we've recruited really, really well. Got to give Sam Pittman a lot of credit, uh, bringing a lot of talent. And uh, I, I think there's some other op- there's some options out there. I mean, Cade Mays has played left tackle before. I think you're right that I would 
be more comfortable with him at right tackle. And Broderick Jones, if he's able and ready, if, if we do sign him first off, and uh, he's and he's the caliber of anywhere close to the caliber Andrew Thomas can play as a true freshman. Then I think he has the physical profile. You mentioned his basketball background, his the great feet he has there. Uh, but w- there's a lot. We, we first got to sign that guy. We don't know if that's going to happen yet. But you mentioned McClendon. He's certainly going to be an option there. What about a guy like Xavier Trust we brought in last year? Does he fit into the equation at all anywhere? Um, to me, he's more of an answer at right tackle. He's got that body yeah. similar to Isaiah Wilson. I agree. I don't know if he has the foot speed right now, but I think he can be a good right tackle down the road. But it'll, it'll certainly I mean, be. You also got to think about um, Tate Ratledge. I, I, right I, I was going to ask you about him next. Tate, Tate Ratledge. I think I, I brought brought Jones into a lot of the conversations right now. He's the one that's committed but hasn't signed yet, so all, all eyes are on him. Obviously, big five star prospect. Tate Ratledge though has become a five star prospect in his own right, one of the two four seven composite. And this guy is an elite offensive tackle prospect. I think he can play left or right tackle. So even if we don't get Broderick Jones, I think Tate Rattledge will be in that conversation. And, uh, uh, there's also one more person I want to throw in there. I want to throw in Jamari Salyer. Absolutely. I, right tackle? I mean, right tackle for sure can play that because he did that this year. Can he play left tackle? I think he can. I think he's got better footwork than what Mays has. So I think he's he a highly play. athletic offensive tackle. Yeah, know? and that's the thing. I think he could – I think, and, you know, I mentioned more McClendon looking at Isaiah Wynn. I think that's the same for Jamari Salyer. Yeah, I think there, there's there's certainly some options there, and, and like we can pre- like we can predict. But the who's thing is, we have a lot of holes at guard to play. But I think guards you can trust sometimes freshmen to younger guys in there because it's not as much. But it's harder to trust the freshman on the outside too. Yeah. Um, you may see some of these guys like Mays and um, Salyer, who probably are guards or can play, be more successful guards um, in the tackle. Yeah, and to kind of build, Charlie had another question about the uh, the offensive line, so we'll kind of just go, move into that. Uh, we talked about who we see starting at tackle next year. Uh, <laughs> Sal, you're finally taking over one of the guard spots. If Mays moves to tackle does, and Kinley goes pro, does Justin Schaefer get that left guard spot? Does Tori Johnson affect the offensive line? I hope not. You're not high on Justin Schaefer. I told you I haven't been. I mean, he's just too inconsistent, plays with poor leverage. I thought he played, you know, when he was in there, he was it was very hit or miss. He he can he does get movement at times. I mean, he's a big physical guy that can get movement, but you're right. I think uh, footwork and just athleticism in general, I, I don't think he he's is. He's almost like a Kendall level. Baker. Like, he'll do something yeah. good every now and then, but a majority of the time it's not good. Yeah, I don't know if his athleticism is on the level of some of the other guys we have in that position, whether whether it was a Jamar, Jamari Salyer or uh, obviously uh, Kinley. But if Kinley goes pro, I mean, Cade May has a more athletic guard, in my opinion, than Justin Schaefer. Um, and Ben, everybody, ben Cleveland, I mean, I know he's not going to be eligible for the uh, – for the sure bowl, but from all accounts, I mean, he might go pro, but from what I'm hearing is that he's likely going to be coming back next year. So he'll certainly be a factor uh, on the interior as well. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Have you seen a Tory Johnson moving back to the offensive line? No, not at all. Now I, I, I guess if I had to pick it, I would say probably, oh man, at right tackle, Jamari Salyer, right guard, uh, right guard, I'd probably say, Cade Mays, if Kinley goes pro, Ben Cleveland at left. I would say Ben at right guard because he's played that his entire career. I think Cade has a little bit more flexibility can play left guard maybe if Kinley goes pro and then left tackle. I don't know, man. Uh, if we get Roger Jones, maybe. Tate Rowling. There'll be a major competition for left tackle. And it's just hard for me to say because we haven't seen any of those guys. We don't, we don't know all the guys are going to have on campus. We might have Roger Jones. We might not. Um, and, and it's just going to be an all-out battle there. So, I don't know. Sure. Let's say, assuming Roger Jones does end up signing with us, let's go with him because he's just got that kind of uh, that profile coming out of high school. Um, but it'll it'll be an all-out battle. There's no doubt there. And before we move on to our next question, I do want to quickly remind you guys about our good friends at Vivid Seats. I know with Christmas coming and going now, you guys probably have a little bit of Christmas cash burning a hole in your pocket right now. 
And now is as good a time as any to get on Vivid Seats right now and buy tickets for the Sugar Bowl. If you got that Christmas cash, go ahead, make plans, head down to New Orleans, take in the last game of the 2019 season before we turn our full attention towards the 2020 season. Vivid Seats still has the best price you can find. Incredible seats, great prices, everything you're looking for. It's an incredibly easy process. I've already picked up a couple pairs for myself, my in-laws, friends, and it was a completely stress-free process every single time. And every time I bought a new pair of tickets, I earned more points. I got credits back with the new Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program, and all I had to do was go to the App Store or go to Google Play if that if you guys have a Droid, and just download the Vivid Seats app and when it's time to buy new users enter the promo code overtime at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100 all right let's move on here we've got a couple questions from Zandalorian appreciate it my man uh first he asks what are we gonna do about kicker Jake Camardi came in as a place kicker if I recall but I'm unsure that's what we'd want it seems like high pressure situations make him fall I mean I know Rodrigo had I know but I know he had some issues um well he missed some he missed some big kicks this year but we look Rodrigo's Incredible. Uh, Lou Groves Award winner, very deserving. I love Rod. Uh, and there's a big hole left behind here. So, what do we do as, at the place kicker position next year? I mean, if I'm going to be honest, I would believe, in all honesty, that Jake Martin is actually probably a better place kicker than he is a punter. In high school, he was. And at the time, he got a few kicks in uh, Georgia or at Georgia. I know it wasn't in high pressure situations. <laughs> But the kid was booting them long ones. I definitely think on kickoffs, 100%, you go with Camarda. Um, but, I mean, at this point, you just don't know. It's going to be trial by error, a lot of competitions, things like that, going against the kid we just recently signed also. Jared Zirkel? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Zirkel will certainly factor into it. I mean, Camarda could be a <clears throat> – he, he could do it both for sure. But uh, I – you don't see that often. You see it from time to time at the college level, but I don't know if that's the ideal situation. Now, Grant, I mean, like, what's going to stop you from punting and kicking? It's really not like that physically taxing or anything like that. But he, I will tell you, Carter's a hell of a place kicker. He absolutely is. I saw him do it in, in high school at Norcross High School. He's a uh, he's a good punter as well. Now there were times he was inconsistent at times. Sure, I think the second half of the year, I think Camarda really did. He played really well for us the second half of the season. Now, he did have some kicks here and there that weren't ideal, but. Uh, he's still a young guy. I think he's going to continue to improve that consistency. So I, I, okay, I think he'll have a shot to be the punter and the kicker. I think he'll get every opportunity to do that. But Jared Zirkle coming in from Texas will also have the opportunity to do that as well. But it's it's a concern of mine. There's no doubt uh, we were strong in the special teams department this year, especially the kicker position. It could potentially be a weakness next year if we don't get it straightened out. So hopefully we find an answer there. All right, next up, he, uh, Zane Lorian also asked, it seemed our offense thrived in 2017 because of a one-two punch at running back that are, that are both now NFL starters. Pair with the great blocking receivers who played the roles exceptionally well. How certain are you that we can recreate this? Kurt, are, do you think we can recreate that situation? Yeah, I mean, I don't think we can. I mean, no, no players are in, you know, non-replaceable. As good as they may be, you can find players that can do the job. And I think that right now we just didn't – I think that we had receivers that could block. I just don't think that we had receivers that could do enough to open up the pass game. Yeah, but especially was- running back position, I think that will be loaded. Yeah, I, I, well, this year we weren't loaded at running back. I, I, that was uh, that was one of the lesser discussed issues with the offense this year. Yes, DeAndre Swift is a freaking stud. DeAndre Swift is as good as he's he's as good as he, he's great, man. But behind him, there's a dramatic drop off. We love I love Brian Harian. I, I love the guy to death. But let's be real, Brian Harian. I mean, DeAndre Swift and Brian Harian is no. It's not even the same stratosphere as Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle. 
it's just not even close. It's not even, it's, it, it's just not. So like, we just, we weren't as dynamic at running back. I mean, we were swift, but behind him, we just weren't. I mean, Harry had value, absolutely runs hard, plays physical. He's a good leader, but he, he was not, he's not a dynamic running back. Come on. He's just not, he's not an NFL back. It's just, he's just not. Uh, and moving in, in Zeus was that guy coming out of high school. He's one of the best high school running back tapes I've ever seen, but he's not that guy right now. And maybe he will be again. Maybe it's a Nick Chubb type situation where, you know, you you get injured and the first year back, you're not the same. Uh, you get on the same burst, acceleration, speed, that kind of thing. Can't cut like you used to. Maybe the second year, you can, like we saw with Nick Chubb, and you just get better and better as time goes on. And if, if he's back healthy, I'll feel better. If you, if you pair him with a guy like Kendall Milton, uh, potentially Zach Evans. Uh, you got I like. I'm really high on Kenny McIntosh as well. James Cook. Like we have we have elite backs, but. Um, we're gonna we're gonna have to like that's something that we need to have moving forward. We've got to have that one two punch because if you look at he, I think Zenalorian is exactly correct. What we had in 2017 was just so different than what we had this year in 2019. We had I mean Holyfield was also a drop off 2018, but not as much as Harrion was this year. So we've got to get back to that role, and I think we can absolutely, especially if we get uh, Zach Evans here. Zach Evans is the alpha running back in this class. There's no doubt character issues regard whatever um he's on the field as good as it gets in this class and then zeus can continue to get closer and closer to what he was i thought i like kenny mcintosh james cook gives us some uh, dynamic playmaking ability in the backfield i think we can get closer to that but uh we i think it was an issue this year i do i do all right all right next up we got what can we expect from our front seven after the turnover this year my guess is better than last year the losing take crowd will likely drop our stuff rate kurt what do you uh see in the front seven moving into 2020 um, I think it'll hurt a little bit on the defensive line, but I think it will help that. Um, I think we've got some nice replacements with uh, Logue, and um, I mean, you got to think Bill Norton will come in there and do it. Um, Jordan, Davis so has a, Jordan Davis as a junior? Come on. Yeah, Jordan Davis as a junior. Um, you'll have Julian Rochester coming back. Devontae Wyatt is a baller. Devontae Wyatt's yeah. going to have a huge year next year. Exactly. And then, like I said, with Rochester coming back, I think this could be huge. And, you know, it'll hurt losing Tay Crowder, but I actually think we'll be better at the linebacker position because you'll have another year, Quay Walker. Uh, N'Kobe Dean will be even, you know, the guy who's making a lot of plays. I think he'll be even better next year. Um, Ryan Davis will be yeah, healthy. Yeah, I, so I think we'll Ryan be Davis. fine. Yeah, yeah I, I think we'll be fine, really. I think we'll be better at I don't think there'll be a drop-off like it was when the year after we lost Roquan. Yeah, I think we'll be better. I, th- I think we'll be better at inside linebacker next year. I love Tay Crowder. He got so much better as time went on, and he, he did do a good job. Uh, create negative plays at times, but Monty Rice come back if he comes back for a senior year, which there was some discussion he might not, but I think it's probably looking like right now he will be coming back. And you pair him with a with Quay Walker moving into his junior season, uh, another year of experience. You've got uh, you mentioned Ryan Davis is a guy who didn't play much this year and really played all this year, come off the ACL injury. But this guy's gonna be a really really good inside linebacker. Obviously got Nicobe Dean going into sophomore year. I think we're gonna be flat out nasty inside linebacker. I think defensive line is going to be I think as good as it was this year, maybe even potentially better with some of the guys that we've got coming in. Trayvon Walker's a guy that we didn't mention. I mean, come on, that guy, we're going to find a role for Trayvon Walker, a more consistent role for Trayvon Walker next year. Uh, Malik Herring coming back for his senior season, uh, who was a really good five-tech defensive end for us. I, I, I mean, dude, I think we can be really, really good in the front seven next year. I think it's actually better than next year. So I'm, I'm actually pretty high on that. Uh, and Zane Lorian's final question here, same question but about the secondary. What can we expect from our secondary this year, or next year after the turnover from 2019? Um, I mean, you'll miss J.R. Reed, but other than that, especially if LeCount comes back, you won't see that big of a difference because there hasn't been a lot talking about um, with Eric um, 
Eric Stokes. Yeah, I think he's coming yeah, back. Yeah, Eric Stokes. Or you haven't heard a lot about that. So if he doesn't go pro, I think he'll be fine. You have a healthy Tyson Campbell coming back. TJ Daniels going to be back. If we can add Keely Ringo to the mix, an elite cornerback prospect coming into high school, coming out of high school. Uh, we've got Devon Wilson, Mark Webb back. I, I, like I know we're losing J.R. Reed, who was the uh, the leader in that secondary. But Kurt, is it is it a really a stretch to say that we could actually also be better than the secondary next year? One hundred percent. I mean, like you said, if you have Stokes coming back for another year starting. Uh, the battle between um, Campbell and David and also potentially throwing in Ringo, I mean, uh, it's definitely there. Yeah, I, I think I actually think we can be better in the secondary next year. I mean, we'll be deeper in the secondary. Everybody, everybody, If everybody comes back absent J.R. Reed, more experience, I mean, get, get just better depth. I mean, it's going to be crazy. I think we can actually be better in the secondary next year and better in the front seven, which means, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, Kurt, that would mean we'd be better defensively than even we were this year. It wouldn't uh, shock me, no. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we can be. I really do. We'll talk more about that as the offseason progresses, but uh, I think we can be. All right, let's move into a couple other questions from diff- from different people here. So we really appreciate Charlie and Zendalori in there sending us a couple questions. But uh, Alexander has a question. This is one that uh, I actually have a lot to say about. Uh, Alexander asks, what are your thoughts on the rumors that Zach Evans is coming to Georgia? And then how do you feel about him as a prospect? Personally, I think he's tremendously talented, but he's a walking red flag. His coach sent him away from the team two or three times this season. So, Kurt, a couple different uh, components to that question. First off, do you think Zach Evans is coming to Georgia? Um, I think that the stars are starting to align, yes. Yes. Uh, if you guys have been keeping up with this, Zach Evans is a five-star running back for a long time. He's the top running back in the in this class. He's a five-star prospect out of Texas. Uh, we were training with him for a while early in the fall. Then he started to kind of look like he was training elsewhere, but now we got back into it. And it looks like he has signed early, from my understanding. And we don't know exactly where he signed yet, but all the rumors seem to indicate on uh, the crystal balls on the 247 composite are coming in that he's he has already signed with us. But he's going to announce publicly at the uh, Under Armour All-American game on January 2nd. So I actually feel pretty good about us getting him right now. Uh, I think I feel actually feel good saying that. How good is he as a prospect? Is he that uh, good? I mean, in my opinion, he's the best top running back in the class. Yeah, I think he's in the alpha running back in this class. I do agree with that. Uh, he's a total package. He's got great speed, lateral agility, acceleration, burst, all that stuff. Runs with good power. Uh, I, I, he's a guy that can be a weapon out of the backfield as a receiver. I mean, he is a total package at the right back position. I, and he's he's an, he's an exceptional talent. There's no doubt there. Uh, but the part you can't escape, and this is what's gotten the most conversation lately, is what Alexander says. He's a walking red flag. It, is he... Like, does that concern you? Is he is he worth the potential? Because if you guys don't know, basically, beginning of the year, he was suspended from his football team uh, for a couple of games. Then uh, he got back on the team. And then right before the uh, Texas State Championship game, I think it's 6A Championship game there, he was suspended the night before the game for allegedly not turning over his cell phone to the coach. And then we'll talk more about that in a second. But, like, does that concern you? Like, is he worth the potential risk that might be associated with taking him? hundred percent. He's a top running back in the nation. I don't, you, I mean, I what don't are know you risking you... by taking him? Is my question. Like what, you, like people are like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I take him. Why not? What you have to lose if he, if he doesn't work out, he leads. I mean, if he does work out, he probably makes your team a, a true yeah. national contender on offense. Yeah. If he doesn't work out, it's like Britton Cox. If he's an attitude problem like Britton Cox and you kick him off the team, he's gone, whatever. He goes somewhere else. What, yeah. what, 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 do you, what do you lose, man? Nothing. You don't lose anything. But he also could work out. You get him away from home. You get him in a new environment with Jonas Jennings, the support staff we have here, Kirby. Uh, he's going to room with Kendall Milton, who's a who's a high-character kid at, at from California at the running back position. You get him in, in this team environment. Uh, you know, I, 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 why, why do you have to lose? 
I mean, this guy, yeah. it, it, if he pans out, he can, <clears throat> he can be a difference maker. And our offense needs every single difference maker we can get. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that people are not trying to be mean, but I think I don't understand their logic. When, like you said, when they're over here, what do uh, you know? Is it worth it? What do you mean? Is it worth it? Of course, it's worth it. Or right. again, if it if if he turns out to be just a bad apple, then just you you move on. When right? Kirby also has the Kirby has the cojones that if if they're a bad apple and they hurt the team, look what he did with Britton Cox. He kicked him out. Yeah. He was gone. And plus, our coaches have a lot more information to operate off of than we do in this situation. We, well, and here's the thing, we know, too, you know, but we don't he's know. He's got some red flags. But people out there are acting like it's all one-sided. Absolutely. That's, a, that's the big and thing. that's the thing me. that's bothering me the most. The kids could have signed with Georgia, and all you're hearing are fans just pretty much trashing the kid, even though he's about to represent your university, which is kind of appalling to me that you want to straight up just question a guy's character. Yeah, he's made some mistakes, but – don't let that define the kid. He may prove you wrong. Like you said, getting him out of the state of Texas, away from you know the people he's around, and it, obviously away from a coach that it's a toxic relationship that they're not seeing eye to eye. That's a great way to put it. And look, guys, you, some of you probably know I'm an educator. I've seen situations like this, uh, and I will say, do I would just warn you, please do not make declarative judgments, uh, and I'm trying to do this myself, about a person or situation without all the facts. And that's on both sides, about the coach and about the player as well. But I'll give you my take on the situation. I think this is, like you said, Kurt, I think this is a situation between a player and a coach that's devolved into a toxic situation, right? Uh, I think it's gotten personal on both ends. It doesn't mean either party is a bad guy. Like there's, There doesn't have to be a villain in this situation. Like everyone wants to be black and white. It, it's not always black and white in situations. Uh, it, both parties have likely made mistakes. I think you, that's safe to say. I mean, again, without knowing all the details, all the facts, I think it's safe. Like things like this don't devolve to this level without both parties making some mistakes. And it, it, it's gotten personal between them. I don't. If you don't think coaches or adults can get that way with kids, where they when things get personal with a kid, you are fooling yourself. Okay, I see it every single day in my, in my line of work. Trust was broken somewhere along the way between these two uh and sometimes there are just personality conflicts and i think this from what i can tell from the outside looking in without having all the facts it seems that this is one of those cases because it it consistently incur like this is my thing does it not consistently seem to be an issue between evans and this one adult yeah uh, it's always between them two and they're always um you know it's nothing being seen eye to eye obviously and you know they just – it wasn't working out, and people want to say it's all on the kid, but I think you made a good point saying that adults can be to blame just as much. Trust me, guys. I see it every day. I mean, hey, look, it's fair to say that Evans is likely guilty of, of like some degree of immaturity because he's 17 or 18 years old. Guys, I work with kids that age. Like, yeah, they're – those most kids that age have some degree of immaturity, but that doesn't mean he's a bad dude. And that's what really irks me is I see people talk, talk about him like he's a bad dude. I'm like, you don't know that, man. Like, you do not know that. Uh, I've seen situations where my experiences with one kid, like my experience with a kid, leads me to believe that he's one of the best kids I've ever been around. I'll love the kid to death. And then I'll hear another educator discuss the same kid like he's the spawn of Satan. And I'm, I'm sitting here listening like, what? What are you talking about? You, you talking about that kid? No, you're crazy. It, it, it's it, it's not that I'm right or they're wrong. It's it's just it's a matter of of personality um, and how they mesh together or don't mesh. How they how they they conflict with one another. The experiences with the kids, situation, the context. Like it, it's just like it's different in different situations. And like the, the and if you guys don't aren't familiar with this, it was this last thing was a cell phone, right, Kurt? Yeah. 
Like he was trying and to even his mom tried to talk to him. Right. And according to Zach Evans, and there are actually some witnesses in the room there too. I think I've backed this up. Uh, Evans was, he had his phone and he wasn't, it doesn't seem like he was being disrespectful, but he was, um, he was basically waiting on a call from a family member for a, for a specific reason and was willing to give the phone to the coach. He just wanted, he's waiting on this one phone call. And I actually tried to return the phone, try to take the phone to the coach. Uh, shortly after he got the phone call, the coach said, no, I'm not taking it. Like, come on, dude. Like, like, come on. Especially like, for a 4 p.m. game. Yeah, it's it, to me, and again, I don't have all the facts. So I'm not trying to make declared judgment, but that's indeed how it went down. That's, a, to me, like, on one hand, you can say it's a rule, and a rule's a rule, so you have to follow it. But I would also say rules can be stupid and counterproductive. Like, to me, this coach was just being rigid for rigid's sake in this situation. Like, you have to have some empathy and understanding, and you just have to be plain reasonable. Again, guys, I work with kids like this. All right. You have you can have rules, but you also have to be flexible. You have to have you have to have to be a reasonable individual. And, and, and the trust is already broken between these two. Like what it seems to me like the coach, again, from the outside looking in, like the coach might have had a, has an issue with Evans going back through their history, this, the rest of this, the previous parts of this year. So he has this history with Evans. It was just trying to apply the rules as rigidly as he could to give him any pretext to punish the kid. Like I've seen this many, many times in educator, like kids piss you off. It happens. They just grate on your nerves. And you were just hard as hell on them, just looking for any pretext to write them up and inflexibly apply the rules to that one kid when you would give most other kids a little leeway in the situation. Um, so, like, I don't know. Like, I to me, I think it's both are probably in the wrong to a degree. I think it's a personality conflict. I don't think this means that Zach Evans is uh, unsalvageable, that this kid has no chance to make it. Like, I, I don't buy that at all. Like you said, Kurt, like, what do we have to lose, right? To sum it up, what do we have to lose? Bring this kid in. Bring him in. All right, moving on here. We got a question from Jesse. Uh, thanks for the question, Jesse. Which guys will play which positions in our defensive line class in terms of zero tech, three tech, five tech? What do you think, Kurt? Uh, if you look at this uh, defensive line class, I mean, uh, there, I, th- I think there's some there's some flexibility with some of these yeah, guys. Yeah, the one person I think Jalen Carter's a, a, I think he's a, a, a bigger I think he's a version of Tyler Clark. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think Jalen. I, I think he. I think actually he's one of the more underrated prospects in this class. And yeah, I, I do too. yeah, I think he's going to be a freaking monster. I think he, I think he's a five star player. Whether he's ranked there or not, that's just my opinion. Um, but if you look at him, I think he's a guy that has some flexibility position. I think he can play a three tech. I think he can play a five tech. I think in certain situations he could play a zero tech. Uh, but I think he's going to be a, a big time player for us. But I think he's his. Primary position would be like Tyler Clark, probably the three-tech position there. If you look at Warren Brinson, I think he's also a three-tech guy as yeah, well. Yeah, that's where I put him also. Yeah, and Azir Stackhouse. But, I mean, I think – To me, he's more of a three-five. Yeah, I think I think he – and I think Brinson and Stackhouse can both play outside at five at times. But I think Stackhouse could also probably play the three. Now, Devin – uh, Devin Wilkes, a guy who's playing, he's only playing on the offensive line for us, but I've seen him play some defensive tackle before too. He'll probably play offensive line, but he played defensive tackle. He was a guy that could find, kind of fit as a as a nose guard, but he'll probably be on the offensive side for us. Uh, but what about uh, the guy that we're hearing about a little bit from Mississippi right now, Kurt McKinley? What do you think about if we do end up landing him? Where does he fit for you? If I, to me, I would say a zero or a three. I think he's I think he's a nose. I think he's a zero. I think he's an explosive nose. Uh, and I think he can slide out to play three a little bit. I think he's probably more of a zero tech, true uh, traditional kind of nose guard. And he's he's got that. He's kind of like sawed off a little bit. He's only like six two. So I like that he plays like a low center of gravity and gets some movement. He's really explosive in that position. So uh, I think that's kind of where you'd see see him. But I think there's some position flexibility among those guys, which is one of the things that we're kind of moving towards a little bit more. 
uh, along the defensive line. All right, next up, I uh, got a question from uh, from Jonathan. This is a, uh, it's a tough one to answer. Jonathan, why do you have to remind me of this, man? Uh, I'm just kidding, man. It's a great question. Great question. Jonathan asks, have you guys had time to pinpoint what exactly happened to the offense since the South Carolina game? Is it simply Cager being in and out of the games? Is it something the Gamecocks did on defense that teams started to do moving forward? Was Jake not playing like himself? So, Kerr, if you had to put your finger on it, like what was – because we like we were a different offense before and after South Carolina. What was the difference? Um, we got exposed. In what way? I mean, our receiver talent, as simple as that. You know, we couldn't beat the press. Team, they used a defensive game plan that most teams started to implement where, you know, we took away they took away the underneath routes, really, and, you know, were forcing us to try to create separation and things like that. And our team couldn't do it. Well, teams started to attack downhill far more aggressively, yeah. safe from the safety position. I mean, look, I know that people stack the box. I'm not talking about, like, having eight guys. I'm talking about safeties running downhill towards line of scrimmage with reckless abandon after that game. I mean, I'm at the, at the snap, just running downhill. Uh, and I'm talking about inside linebackers playing, like, two to three yards off the line of scrimmage. And we couldn't do anything to make them to stop them doing that. We we couldn't make them pay. Uh, we just didn't have the ability to, to constrain them in any sort of way. I think that was part of it. Uh, I do think Jake lost some confidence as time went on. That was part of it. And he was his accuracy. Did, uh, part of the accuracy issues were the receivers not getting separation and every throw he was trying to make was having to fit into a very tight window. I think that was part of it. But there were also some throws that were there that he missed. Um, that was kind of uncharacteristic of him from his first couple of years. So I think that was part of it as well. But to me, and I've said this many times, I'll say it again. The biggest issue was Lawrence Cager going out. We win that game against South Carolina, and we're in the college playoff if Lawrence Cager doesn't go out in that game. I, I, I still maintain that. Because with Lawrence Cager out, I mean, Tyler, Tyler Simmons had to go in that position, and we all know what happened there. Um, and Lawrence Cager is a difference maker for us. He was the difference maker for us, a wide receiver. Pickens was to a degree, but Cager even more so. And I, I, I won't lay him out again, but I've laid him out plenty of times. You can go back and listen to the shows. Um, the difference b- between our offense and Jake Fromm's numbers with Lawrence Cage or without are just, it, it's just remarkable. The difference, I mean, it's, it's, it's just inordinate. The splits, like how, how drastically different they were. Um, so I think that was a major factor. So I think I, I just really can't undersell how important it was for how difficult it was for offense. Once we lost Lawrence Cage, it was just, that was a huge blow that we were just were not able to recover from. So I think it was a, it was a combination of different things. Um, and just, um, Unfortunately, it didn't work out like we like we needed to this year. All right, uh, next up, we got a question from Cliff. I think the dogs will finish with the number one or number two recruiting class. I've heard some buzz about McKinley Jackson. He was out of Mississippi with connection to Matt Luke. What are your thoughts? And with the Burt ship having likely already sailed, how big of a get would this other kid be? We talked about McKinley Jackson second there second ago there, Kerr. Uh, do you think there's a chance that we get him? Um, I mean, I think there's a possibility, of course. Yeah, well, I mean, and Matt Luke is obviously the connection there coming from Mississippi. Uh, and and there has been some conversation around there. We'll see. We'll see. If that is. I, I'm not going to say, like, yeah, we're going to get this guy. But I think there's a, a strong possibility. We have. I think we're going to have room for him. And I think he's he's worthy of a scholarship offer at the defensive tackle position, especially as a zero-tech guy. That we don't, I don't know if we have a guy like that in the defensive line class. I like the defensive line class. But I don't know if we have a guy like that that fits that position. Uh, and with Jordan Davis moving on, like we're going to need we're going to need some bodies there. Um, so I, I certainly think he would be worth an offer. And you know, I think it would be a big get if we were able to get a guy. Like, I think he's an explosive zero tech prospect. I do like that. Like him quite a bit. All right. Uh, next up, we got a question from Jamil. Always appreciate Jamil. What would be your starting offensive line for the sugar bulk? Or is it a tough one? Uh, knowing declarations for the draft and ineligibility. What is our offensive line going to look like, Kurt? Ooh, um, probably Sawyer at left tackle, Kinley at guard, Hill at center, um, Mays at right tackle and at right guard, I really just don't know. Clay Webb, um, 
maybe you might see some of these freshmen who haven't had their red shirts burned yet. Yeah, I mean, the, it, there's a number of ways. Like, it, it could be – yeah, I mean, it's, it's probably going to be one of those guys, right? Because, I mean, right now – uh, Justin Schaefer's out for the year. He's got a neck thing going on, so he, he's not going to be an option there. But I think you're. I think everything you said, I agree with that right guard spot. I don't. I don't know, man. Um, did you? Where'd you say Salyer? Left tackle. You have him at left tackle. Yeah. Oh man, left tackle Salyer. I here's what I would say. I would say because I think what this year. I don't know about moving forward. But I think this year. I think you're going to see Cade Mays at left tackle and Jamari Salyer at right tackle. So that's where the, both those guys will play a little bit more this just this year. Um, and you're obviously Trey Hill be at center, probably Kenley at left, or it'll be Kenley at left guard and the right guard. I don't know, man. That's up for grabs. I'm gonna go Clay Webb. I'm just gonna throw a name out there. We'll see. Because with Ben out, who knows? Who knows? Uh, all right. And I touched on this a little bit. This is our final question. Touched on this a little bit on our last show. But Carl, I'll give you your chance to give your take on this. Dalton asked if Jake Fromm were to leave. I'm hearing rumors about us talking to De'Aaron King from Houston as a grad transfer. Any thoughts or knowledge of this? Kurt, what's your take on that situation? I think I think it'd be a great job because while we have signed a great, you know, really good receiver class, it's, you know, you're still not sure how quickly they're going to develop and things like that. And just having the running quarterback would make things open things up with the run game and even in the passing game because it, as you see when you – play quarterbacks that with uh or play teams with running quarterbacks it's just a numbers game and it would at least give us something else for teams to think about yeah i would welcome dear cam and when he first announced that he was gonna be redshorting this year after like game three and then potentially transferring who knows what he was gonna do it was a really weird situation like i came i went on twitter i was like yeah go get that guy like go get him because i was thinking jake was gonna go pro and that whole thing and jake still might we don't know um but i i would certainly not be opposed to it but Kurt, like do you really like What's the likelihood of Eric King, a, the, a guy at the core position with that skill set, is going to come to Georgia and play in the offense that he saw us in last year? Yeah, if I had to pick, or not pick, but if I had to say, I, you'd probably have a better chance at landing someone like KJ Costello yep. than you would um, Derek King. Yeah, I mean, Derek King is a guy like Oklahoma would be a, or LSU would be more of a fit for him than than what, and I would love to have him, but I just don't like. Why would he come here? Is what I would say. Uh, Knowing way now we could try some of the fact we're going to change the offense just for you, but why would he go in a situation where he's like trusting us to change the offense when we haven't really done it before, or, or he just go into an offense that's already ready made for his skill set? So I think that's a long shot. I think you, you mentioned that in KJ Costello, the transfer from Stanford, grad transfer from Stanford. That's to me a more the more realistic option. He's a more like he uh, is a pro style guy, but he's more athletic than Jake Fromm is and can move around a little bit. Not a true dual threat guy, but he can move a little bit. You can run. You can do some quarterback run game with him as well. Uh, I think he's the more realistic option if Jake does decide to go pro. But at the end of the day, I will stick by what I've been saying. Please, Jay Fromm, come back one more year, please. We have everything. We have everything we need next year. I believe we're going to have everything we need. We just need Jake. We need. We need a quarterback position. We do not need to have a true freshman starting quarterback. I'll say that. Right, Kerr? Are you with me on that? Yeah. Like no true freshman. We do not need a true freshman starting next year because that will. That could. Uh, that could throw a wrinkle in things. But uh, all right, guys. We really appreciate you sticking with us today. We uh, we tried our best to give you guys some bonus holiday content here. So hope you guys enjoyed it. We, we, we will be back uh, early next week as well. Talk about the Sugar Bowl, all that fun stuff. So hopefully we'll see a lot of you guys down there in New Orleans. It should be a lot of fun. Uh, no tickets are cheap, but hey, make it down there, man. I, it's I, Even if you were down there last year, you don't have any plans. Tickets are cheap. Get down there. Go to Vivid Seats. Find you a pair of tickets. And uh, go have some fun in the Big Easy. But uh, thanks for listening, guys. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go Dawgs.